The, uh, why did the dominatrix go to the chiropractor? Why? She had a little kink in her neck. <laughs> <laughs> testing, testing. Which is the um, headphone volume for me? Number two. Testing. <laughs> a little higher, please. How's that? Shamalama ding dong. Okay, good. Yeah. So I have this friend, right? Mm-hmm. And she had a pain in her... Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about me. I was like, is it me? Am I the friend? It's <laughs> oh, a girl. I, yeah, she, has a, she had a pain in her, like, in her butt, right? Mm-hmm. And she, she goes to the doctor and she's like, Doc, I got, a, I got a pain in my butt. And he's like, where exactly on your butt? And she's like, uh, the entrance. And he goes, if you keep calling it the entrance, it's, <laughs> it's going to keep hurting. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just do a whole show of these? I have got a long list of uh, <laughs> Confucius say jokes that is offending and horrifying my family for weeks. Somebody told me that Confucius say was racist. I said that. Yeah, no, it was because I'm always worried was, that they I are. I think racist. it was Ben. <laughs> so I don't want to. You know, I don't want to offend our Chinese audience. No, here. I mean he's not wrong. It's just. It's just we're going to do it anyway, right? I just because think it's, we're not fucking who exactly PC woke who here. Who are we offending here? People who believe in Confucius? Is that it? <laughs> I think if well, the conversation I had with Ben was like, or maybe it was Jack. I don't know. He was like, if you were to say like Confucius says, oh, is it making fun <laughs> of the? Uh, I guess, I don't know. All right. Well, I'll never do it again. That's it. You're not going to do one. Uh, of course I'm going to do one. <laughs> Didn't I send you a, we've been sending back these horrible jokes yes. uh, back and forth for weeks. And sometimes I don't even get a response, which is when I know <laughs> that, um, you know. I it, don't think, take it personally. I was on a three hour time change from you last week and. So, okay. It's jokes like this. Confucius say virginity like bubble. One prick, all gone. <laughs> uh, Confucius say bird in the hand is not better than two in the bush. I think it's a sex joke. I don't get it. I don't either. Some of these are just really dirty for no reason. Oh, here's a good <laughs> Confucius say, man who run before bus, get tired. <laughs> That's good. There were some funny ones. I was just cracking up. My wife's like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, you don't want to know. So that's where we're at today, folks. Yep. That's all you're going to yeah. get. All <laughs> you're going to get. You're gonna get a whole bunch of that kind of thing. Which reminds me. Which reminds me. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm not X. I'm Mike today. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. The boys are back in town, <laughs> catching up like never before on adventures in, where were we? Different places. Yeah. And I may talk about a, um, a seizure I may have had in sobriety, which... Uh, is all the talk today on uh, Recovery Radio. Is it more fun to have a seizure in sobriety or when you're um, using drugs? You're equally confused when you come to. Yes, yes. Uh, well, listen, when you know better... You do better. All right. All this and more today on a very special edition of R M 
Hey, and good morning to you. We're back at Castle Grayskull Studios. Yep. I'm happy to be back. I love the feel here. I love the... This, the, the energy in here, it's just... <laughs> what energy? It's, it's a fucking laundry room. There's like <laughs> lizards, guitars, there's laundry. Speaking I, of guitars, you see what's up on the on the screen over there? Are you giving yourself lessons? <laughs> uh, that is the 2008 or 10 version of Guitar Hero. Oh my gosh! Which um, Benjamin just decided that he really wanted to start playing Guitar Hero for reasons that I have no idea why. I've been talking about this to Noah for like months. So we had to go, we went to the mall, we tried to go to, we went to the video game, classic video yeah, game store. VGT something. They did not have the uh, guitars. I went to uh, GameStop. They did not have Dude, the guitars. Dude, they have piles of those guitars yeah, Only for the PS1 oh, or the PS2. He I needs it you. for the PS3 or the Wii. Hmm. So they were, and... I call their Levittown office and they're like, yeah, we got one. It's reconditioned. It's missing the battery cover. It's a hundred dollars. So I go on Amazon and I'm like, oh, 38 <laughs> delivery by tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. Okay. And this like, is why, why do these places like they should price out themselves of out of business. Like well, I don't get it. I, I really don't. That get is it. the world we live in. It's unfortunate, but it is true. I want to, to support the small store. That's what I my, just couldn't. That's what people in town used to say about my store. Yeah, but your prices were not. No, I so matched, out of whack, and I you would match. The, they would never match, though. But and people just assume that you're a ripoff because you're a store, and then they don't even try. I don't know. Yeah. When you know better, you do better. But sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what tools are available to you? My Confucius say joke list. Yeah. That's my tool. As two tools in recovery from alcohol use disorder, whoops, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. If you're struggling to get sober... Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help in your recovery. It's not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. Right. Small enough to fit in your pocket, but big enough to impress your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> sorry. pH balance for and an alcoholic. Discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids. Those jokes should not be in the same sentence. Soberlink sorry. devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and working towards your recovery yes. goals. Mike reads the following. This system would have been a game changer for Nat and I during early recovery when mm-hmm. every bit of accountability mm-hmm. helps. Uh, helps. Yeah, I really can't think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships. Thank you, Soberlink. Make 2023 a memorable one. In other words, you'll remember it if you're not shit-faced all the time. <laughs> Visit www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device. And Mike will middle hyphen your ages. Um, okay, now we have to do the, uh, the post-ad thing where I tell you, listen... We're not kidding. This is actually, we really believe in this uh, Soberlink. I think it's really cool. It can really, really help. Yes, absolutely. Loves it. Yep. I was thinking of getting one for my teens. Yeah. Since both of them are now driving. Yeah, we stick on the ad, but it's really, uh, I think this could be a really helpful thing. And thank God they didn't have it when I was on probation because this would really have. Didn't you have an interlock device on your car anyway? It was on my car, but somehow the idea of having one with me, yeah, because when you're not by your car, you can sort of like not drive, you know. 
but when that thing goes off, it goes right. off. And sometimes they court mandate stuff like that. And I used to have friends that would be carrying it around, you know, and I was like, oh man, if I couldn't escape my car, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. You know, it's weird. Um, I was thinking the other day how we're in a really weird, unique moment in history mm. where we have children who are complete digital natives being parented by people who are not digital natives. Mm. Which, this is never going to happen again, right? Like right. the next generation, it's going to be like uh, people who grew up with the internet, right? right. So, so yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I would love to get a Soberlink device so I could make my kids, if they go out at night, blow into it and send me the result before they get in the car to drive home. But I'm thinking that might be really weird and intrusive was, and a violation of privacy. Yep. But these kids have been raised without any expectation of privacy because everything is online and everything they do is out in public. So would it be, would it be looked at as though as, as, as a preemptive act of mistrust on the part of me to my kid? Or would it just be looked at an, like another way of like yeah. tracking your kid, like find my iPhone? Well, that is a great point. And I would retort with just because they're used to it, does it make it right? Or do you just saying you could get away with it? So it's okay. It's still, yes, there is like some moral ambiguity right. in my position. I would, I would agree. Mm. Um, but I do agree. I mean, you have, well, Trust but verify. Yes, is kind of where I'm at with Isn't that my what kids, right? G- GWB used to say. Oh, isn't that a George W. Bush era Kittle like GWB? Trust but verify. GWB. That reminds me of Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, Oy vey. both of whom got fired on the <gasps> same day. What? Yes. This is how disconnected I've been from the news. Yes. Tell me more. Well, I don't know what exactly what happened, oh. but Tucker Carlson was... Um, I can't believe they fired Tucker Carlson. It, he was like a billion-dollar advertiser for Fox. I know. I didn't watch him, okay, but... I guess so, but I mean, now that both of them are gone, I'd, I'd like to know where I'm going to go for my hyper-partisan takes on corporate media news narratives. Where am I going to find this information now? Um, I have some ideas. Michael Savage's show, The Savage Nation, he is like right of right. He hates Republicans and Democrats. You know, if, if you go far enough right, you eventually meet the left. Yes. And they shake hands. The libertarians. Behind the yeah. school. Uh, but that's enough of politics. I just, that was a weird little thing that popped up yesterday. Um, Confucius say, man who smoke pot, choke on handle. You told that one two weeks ago. Damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> damn, I'm so you sorry. You don't get a drum beat. We're going to. Um, you, get, you get the toilet for that one. <laughs> Confucius say, man with big mouth, beware of foot. <laughs> Putting your foot. Um, so, so, uh, so where have you been? What have we been doing? What the fuck have we been doing? What have we been doing? Because you went away. We took a dark week. Nobody thought our presidential funny little drop was funny. Well, that was a while ago, though, wasn't it? I know, but I'm still like mad the last about it. Break. I thought it was so great. So you know what we missed? Uh, this uh, I'll tell you where I was in a minute, but I want to finish going over like things that we've missed in the news, mm-hmm. including smoke weed every day. It was 4:20 a couple of days ago. Oh, right, we didn't celebrate. Did you? <laughs> I don't know if you watched the news, but 4:20 has apparently become a really big fucking holiday in this country. Oh, seriously, have you noticed this? Like, there's like I saw shots of people in Denver, and there was just this. It was like thousands of people in a huge cloud of pot smoke above their head. I did not see that. You did not? Same thing in New York. It's like uh, wow. it's like these really crazy pagan weed celebrations now. Well, has Hallmark kind of capitalized on this with cards? Is that <laughs> When that happens, then we've got a holiday. Cards with like, you could turn into rolling pins. Yes, that's yeah. brilliant. Hemp 
cards. Do people even smoke weed anymore? Or I do think, they vape it and shoot it and dab it? And I don't know. Who knows what they do with it? I have a feeling that I have absolutely no idea. They but eat it. They, you can people eat, it. eat it. I don't know what dabbing is either. It involves concentrating it. Yeah, that seems really like druggy to me. Yeah, that, well, at that point, you are, you know, it's like liquor or beer. I got an ad. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at this this morning. I got an ad from... Uh, Remember the Delta 8 company that you yes. you've slipped me that Mickey all those episodes ago? <laughs> Episode 12, for yeah. those of you that want to go back and listen to that. Um, Surprised you remember. Oh, I recommend that episode to everybody. Uh, so this was the, the, the three chi people. Oh, yeah. So I'm still on their junk email list. Delta 9 shots. Yes. Interesting. This is the new thing. You can now drink your weed in yeah. a shot. Wow. And it's like, it's Delta... It's not Delta 8. Delta 9 is is a code word for actual THC. Is it really? Yep. Yep. Oh, right. Delta 9. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I can just order this from the internet and they'll send it to New York? Oh, say shop now. Yeah, get me like three. You get like a discount. Just, no, order that one. Yeah, I want the big one. <laughs> you want the tincture? Just get it. Or the gummies. Oh, no, 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 no. No more, no, 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 no. Ooh. No more gummy. No more Delta <laughs> 9 gummies. So... I, I bring up 420 because yes. I had an interesting experience this past weekend. What's that? Um, a friend of mine from college who uh, I spoke to when he was getting sober about a year and a half ago. Uh, I think I might have mentioned that on the show. Anyway, he sort of reached out to another friend of ours from college who also has decided that he has had enough of the drinking and is going to, you know... Stop. He wants to try and right. stop. He's sober curious, you might say. Well, except he's been sober now for a couple of weeks. Wow. So uh, I had a really long conversation with him on Sunday, and I'm not going to say his name or his initials or anything because I don't have permission to do so. But um, he was also mentioning how weed was helpful mm. in recovery from not drinking. Uh, sure. And and then I, you know, I relayed my experience where I sort of gave myself permission to smoke or or take an edible or something early on when I was quitting drinking because I would rather if I had to fall down somewhere I would rather be with weed yeah. than with alcohol. And um it seems to me that that is a really popular way that people have been quitting drinking mm. by allowing themselves a little bit of cannabis. I was on the uh, uh one of the uh, sobriety redditors and recovery subreddit the other day and there was a a lively discussion going on about that. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. it seems like the, that even since then, weed has been become so ubiquitous. Like yeah. it's legal now almost everywhere. Right. And there's a lot of people using it. It's true. And this is seeping over into um, my, my kids' life, our kids' lives. And, uh, kids are smoking weed? They're a little um, young. <laughs> Noah is not smoking weed, but we are having more discussions about it. Oh, okay. And it puts me in a really tough spot because, um, you know, I really, really, really want him to never drink alcohol. I know that's absurd, and he probably will, but I'm giving him all the facts. But now it's so accepted, marijuana, uh, cannabis, that... He's got a very, uh, he's not afraid of it, let's just say. Right. There is no fear. And when we talk about it, I can't lie to him and put it on par with fentanyl. Of course not. Absurd. Only the government does that. But, you know, so I tried to be as honest and straightforward with him as possible about it. I said, you know, Noah, um, you really, really don't want to smoke, you know, pot 
at the age of 12. Like this will <laughs> fuck your mind up. Yeah. You know, and I'm just very clear with them. I was like, listen, 16, 17, maybe we have another conversation. Cause I don't want him to think I'm going to like, he's going to have to do it behind my back. Right. So I'm like, let's just, you know, hang out. But it is going around from what I hear. I know that there's a couple all of kinds kids. Of, really? Yeah. And of their age. Yeah. It's exactly who you think. Of course. Yep. Oh, wow. And I was really, I was really amazed that Noah trusted that information with me. You know, that he was, he was kind of alerted me. He's like, hey, dad, I just want you to know that bibbidi-bobbidi-boop. And I was like, whoa. And I was kind of like, well, what do you think about all of that? And he's like, oh, you know, I could never. He said what you tell your father. Right. You know. Um, and then I just tried to be like, just stand back and watch how their lives go. Mm. I said, if you can wait and I want you to wait, I don't want you to do it, but listen, step back and see what happens. Those kids are not going good places. And so he was like, Oh no, I know. And you know, he was even saying, he's like, he has a growth hormone deficiency. So he was like, well, my body is really like a 10 year old. Mm. And so he was really like, he came out with that himself. He's like, yeah, can you imagine what it would do to a 10 year old? Yeah. Said, yeah. Keep thinking like that because you don't want to do that. So these conversations are starting. Wow. Um, I, I, I wonder if I should be um, concerned that Ben did not mention that to me. I, I mean, I don't know how out there this knowledge of this kid doing this is in the grade, but I assume it's out there like wildfire because they're gossipy little seventh graders. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Probably. He shouldn't have told me that because, <laughs> but I'm glad, you know, I predicted something like that. But the problem with being in that high school is it's usually there's an eighth grader who talks to a ninth grader yep. who talks to a 10th grader. the pipeline. Right. And um, I don't know. So that's going around and that scared the shit out of me on one hand, but also gave me a lot of hope that Noah was able to kind of be like, hey, look out for this. Well, now you've given me something to speak to Ben about when he gets home from school today. Yeah, try and be like a little detective-y, you know. Yeah. Unless you're just going to be like, Noah's dad said. <laughs> well, I might just do that because it cuts through. All, it gets the conversation out on the table. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think it's a good time to talk about that. Yeah, wow. I, I was kind of thinking I would had a couple of years on that mm -hmm. because, you know, I got my, my 16-year-old who's like hanging out with his friend who comes over here and they go disappear into the park for a while. And right. And, you know, he's a very good student and he's, he does everything, um, on paper, like the way he's supposed to oh, be really? doing, but I, but he, he's got a little sneaky side and it wouldn't surprise me if they were out there doing, you know, mm -hmm. something, mm -hmm. but you know, every time I, t cause he's like a huge fan of breaking bad and better. So call is Saul. Noah. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, you know, so that like sends up alarm bells because you know, this glorification yep. of like the, the cartels mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And my son, who's very science minded, I, I assume he puts himself in the position of of Jesse and Walter and that he could cook and make a million millions of dollars. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like just this fantasy shit that lives in kids heads when they see something on TV. But, uh, I, I, I never miss an opportunity to tell him like, you know, just watch what happened to those characters at the end of the show. Yeah. You know, they're, they're dead or they're on the run or it doesn't you know, they left a well. trail of destruction behind them. And, you know, I, I tell him like, I don't want you to drink or smoke pot. I'm like, but you know, of the two, Right. You know, I mean, that's what I really don't want you to drink. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's I take the same route because it's like something is going down. It's just like, how soft is it going to be? And yeah. how much damage will it do? I mean, these are, these are 
teenagers. Do yeah. you remember what that was like? I know what I was <laughs> doing when I was 16, you know? Uh, I was just getting started, though, oh, you know? Too. Mm, really getting into it. You know, acid. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we just got off track, and we had a big trip. Didn't you take a big trip? And I had did. An I'll, I'll talk time? about my trip, and then I really want to hear about your trip. Yeah. Because your trip ended in a fall, so yes. to speak. Yes, it did. But uh, So I went out to California again. Uh, last week for another conference. This one I had to get up and present at. Really? Yes. So that was giving me all kind of spilkas because I really haven't had to do that very much since before the pandemic. And the mm. first time I did it was literally I was 30 days sober and I had to get up in front of 500 people Jeez. without a podium and just stand there and talk. Wow. And um, I survived that without breaking my sobriety which gave me an incredible sense of power. Um, mm. But I didn't really have to do anything in that large of a group since then, right. until last week. So um, it was fine. Everything went fine. I was very stressed out about it, though. Uh, I, I, went, I, I went so far as to record what I was going to say as if I was saying it in the room and then listen to it on headphones <laughs> when I went running for the five days before the conference. So Not a I bad was, idea. I was hyper prepared. But yeah, I was like... Um, and then over to you, so and so, like, and <laughs> back so, to you, Chip. Um, so I got through that, and then we had a, you know, and the first night there was a reception, right? Yeah, and these are the danger zones, this right? Reception, not such a big deal because it was my reception. I put it on, so I walked around, I shook everybody's hand, I sat at the tables, I drank my club soda. Now you'd think that I would have made arrangements to have something more than Coke. Diet Coke or seltzer water <laughs> for the non-drinkers, but I somehow spaced on that shit. You mean it was your fault? Yeah, there was wow. plenty of wine and beer, but somehow I, I kind of choked on the non-alcoholic stuff. So uh, now you'll be sympathetic when you go somewhere and they forgot about us. No, I'll be annoyed. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was Pellegrino, so it was fine. Um, okay, so then I presented the next day, and then there was a dinner. And the dinner is where things got kind of interesting because I... Um, was sitting there and there was a woman who is a chief legal counsel for a Canadian utility company. And she was talking about how her and her husband a few years ago uh, gave up sugar. And because they gave up sugar and changed their diet and they don't eat carbs, they also gave up alcohol. And I was kind of like looking at her like, huh. And I used that. I, I was like, there's my opening. So I go in and I'm like, I quit drinking about four years ago and it was the best thing I ever did best for my mental health, best thing for my physical health. I feel better than I have in years. And I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of people that are pounding them pretty yeah. good, except for me and this woman, right? And the guy and the guy at the end of the table. But um, so the guy across from me, who's this British guy who moved from, uh, from Britain to Canada, and he's putting back the loggers, you know, he's like, I only drink on Fridays and Saturdays. And I'm like, I'm thinking, well, it's a Tuesday and you're on your fourth pint. So, okay, whatever, man. Um, and it's funny, you get, you get so, the reactions are very predictable when you drop a bomb like that into, yeah. into a group of people. They're, they're the people that have probably have drinking problems that immediately rush to reassure you that they don't drink that much. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't apologize to me. And then there's the, the folks that just try and change the subject, you yeah. know, or you can see they get visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. It's or, or they want to, you know, ask you more. And, um, I, I just kind of 
opened up. I, I never use the word recovery in those situations because I, I don't. I feel like that turns people off. I just talk about the health benefits of not drinking. Yeah, and and really, why did I quit drinking? It was for the health benefits. Yeah, mental, physical, everything. Right. Right. So it's, it's all not, for the health benefits. It's not religious necessarily, <laughs> or people think you're like morally judging yeah. them or something. And I always, you know, if I feel like I'm in that situation, I'm like, oh, I don't have any moral opposition to it. You know. Well, see, I don't even. I don't feel the need to go that far because w- when do the drinkers feel like they ha- need to like be careful about my feelings about it? Right. I yeah, mean, exactly. fuck you. you I'm not going to make you feel better about it. <laughs> I'm not going to j- like sit here and be like, oh, you're a fucking yeah. alcoholic, but I'm, I'm also not going to be like, oh, it's so, you know, yeah. Enjoy That's yourself. People yeah. pleaser. And- I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I've, sh- I've done kind of a 180 on that. And, but you know, I'm in a work situation, so I'm not going to be a dick. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to be like, ah, you know, it's Tuesday asshole. And you've done your fourth beer. My you customer's know? always drunk. Yeah. Um, but then, so I ended up kind of leaving kind of early towards the end of the dinner because it looked like it was going to carry on into uh, festivities that I didn't want to be a part of. So I ended up giving that older woman a ride home. And I think she and I were kind of on the same page when it came with, I, I think her reason for her, her and her husband quitting sugar, i.e. alcohol, was probably more along the lines of why I quit than mm. along the lines of just wanting to have less sugar in her diet, yeah. right? But we didn't really have that outward conversation. But you know how when you're just, you know, you're kind of riding with somebody, you know you're on the same wavelength yep. about something, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how that went. So I've discovered people like that off and on in my business, you know, who are sort of like closet sober people. Yeah, it reminds you know? me of the story in the Bible. Sorry, guys. But it's perfect because, do you know that Jesus fish thing? Where yeah, it's like the one, Jesus fish, right. So what we were told when I was in, in school was that that was two Christians because it was like illegal or something, or they were, it wasn't okay. They would, with their foot, draw with their toe. One would do a that's sort of circle. like reaching under the bathroom stall. It's exactly, and the other would do the way. So it's like a secret society, uh, sort of like in AA. They say, uh, "Oh, are you a friend of Bill's?" Or they might say, yeah, oh, yeah, "A friend yeah, of Bill." Right. But uh, you know, it's ridiculous that we have to hide, you know, or feel any kind of, you know what I mean? I've decided to uh, not take on the shame and the like any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think how you speak about it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. If you if you sit there from a position of like, I'm in recovery, blah blah blah, you know that then people are going to look at your experience in one way. If you if you present your quitting as an um, affirmative right. thing that you're taking control of your life and your health, then I think it, it sets a different tone for the discussion. Well, that's the whole thing with uh, powerlessness. Yeah, you know, so that's why I don't like that part. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, some people really thrive and, and recover, you know, speaking in terms of disease and uh, that they were powerless and they really use that idea that they were powerless to sort of like explain how they, you know, put faith in God or something or the program to put it, you know, above yeah. them. But uh, man, I don't know, man. Interesting. To me, it seems like one of them is kind of look like more like looking backwards and mm. the other is looking forwards. And, you know, headlights are brighter than taillights on a car for a reason, right? Because mm. you want to be able to see what's uh, up ahead of you and what's behind you is not as important. Yeah, it's one of those things. I, I go back and forth about it because I'm the same way. I don't want to, you know, overdo thinking about my past or rehashing it. But I know that 
I made a lot of progress in my recovery by analyzing what happened, so I wouldn't do it again, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's just like definitely how, a space. I for think that. it's yeah, just uh, how much emphasis do you put on it? I think for me, it just is shifted as I recovered. I thought less and less about the schmuck that I was, and focused more and more on how to keep my life going in the the right direction. Yeah, and so you have to shift your focus. Like today, we're going to talk more about you know physical health and, and how even when you're not. Um, you know, trying to just stay away from alcohol and drugs. There's other, there's other things that could take you out. <laughs> there are other things in life that are just as deadly. There are indeed. Um, and I think it's a really important thing because for me, once I quit the deadly everything, I had a little invincibility uh, mm-hmm. feeling, you know, yeah. like I got to beat that, you know, sugar's not going to take me out, hmm. you know, and um, yeah, it's important that the battle isn't over, you know. You got to keep trying to do the best thing for yourself because uh, it's one body that you got. Well, we've always said that, um, you know, putting down the drink or the drug is just the first step on the road to recovery, right? And then you got to do the internal work. But the thing is, you also have to do the external work. Yeah. You know, you can't ignore the body. You know, the body and the mind are are linked tightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I was hoping someone else could take over for the... The body just part. sort of drive you around like yeah. a robot? Yeah. Be yeah. like Stephen Hawking, you know, just thinking all the time. <laughs> well, that brings us to um, how was your trip to Washington, Mr. Smith? Uh, yeah. So um, my family and I uh, took a trip to the uh, seat of power uh, in uh, Washington. Trump DC. Tower. Trump Tower. <laughs> uh, it's funny because it's my son Max's ninth birthday tomorrow. Hey, and, happy uh, birthday to Max. <laughs> so we wanted to uh, take him on a little trip of his choice. And so he wanted to see the Capitol building. This is an eight-year-old who told me, I want to go see the Lincoln Memorial. He wants to go see the Capitol building. He didn't want to take a shit on Pelosi's desk, did he? (laughs) No, no, no. Um, Funnily enough, uh, I did meet uh, Congressman Joe Wilson. You did? uh, Who I didn't know who that was. Who is that? He's the uh, South Carolina... He's a good guy or a bad guy? He's like, he's a Republican, (laughs) but who's been Republican so long, he's reasonable type of thing. So he's like a Mitt Romney? Yeah, more like a Mitt Romney, and he's been in office 25 years, so he doesn't go along with the craziness. He's just, he knows he'll always be reelected because he's been How did you meet him? I'm not exactly sure. Did you have an audience, like with the Pope? Or? Sort of. So the, we got a, a, a favor to tour the Capitol building because it was sold out. So a friend of my wife's husband works for maybe, I think it's the Turkish consulate or something like that. Okay. And so it was a long shot. We said, you know, can he help us get into the Capitol? So he must have known uh, Joe Wilson mm. because we didn't know where we were going. We were told to go to this office inside the cab. It was pretty cool. I'm walking through the hallways, you know, you see all of the, uh, their, you know, their names are on their offices. Right. And then we go into this one office and we're looking for Gertrude or I forget what her name was. And then this guy, an older man, Joe Wilson comes out and goes, hi, I'm Joe Wilson. I said, Oh, and I didn't know who he was. <laughs> he handed us bags of peanuts what? from uh, South Carolina. Boiled I guess peanuts? I think I don't yeah. know. It was their number one export or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, how did uh, how did we come together? Like, how do I know you or who who sent you?" <laughs> we were like, "I don't know who the fuck you are either." I said, "Listen, <laughs> um, thank you so much for having us. Thanks I'm not for your nuts. Really sure." And uh, and so that was interesting. Anyway, this is so. I'll get to the point. We had this trip. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying this. I know. <laughs> I've been avoiding this. I wasn't sure I wanted to talk about this. Let me just say that. 
Um, it was really scary. Not Joe Wilson, but... <laughs> um, Did you drop by George Santos's office, our, our congressman? I should have. I'm like, <laughs> Santos. Come in, come in. It's one of your constituents. <laughs> You'd be hiding under the desk. <laughs> I know. But uh, so we had this great trip. I'll just skip to the bad part. Um, I got to see my cousin and we met a few cousins that I haven't seen in a while. That was not the bad part. That was a lot of fun. Right. So there was a lot of walking and it was hot. It was really hot. It was like those 90 degree days that we had, right? It was pretty hot. And uh, we were walking all over the city, which is a gorgeous city. It's like, you know, it looks clean. You took some wonderful pictures, by the way. Oh, thank you. Seriously? Yeah. The Washington Monument, the picture of you standing in front of the American flag with the Washington Monument. You should put fucking- You like that? Yeah. You should hang that on your wall. You're a photographer. You should make a t-shirt out of that. I was just like selfie with the monument. And uh, we were having a great time. Are you getting like a phase thing in both your ears or is that just me? That's just you. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So uh, we were walking around that whole day. We went to the spy museum, which is amazing. Yeah. Such a good time. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, we couldn't get in the monsters who recommended I go to the um, air and space. I tried and it was sold out. Yes. You, you couldn't get it. Yeah. Uh, so we had a great day. We did, you know, 18,000 steps is what I finally looked at it because <clears throat> I was trying to figure out what happened to me, you know? And, uh, we went to this really nice Mexican, uh, restaurant and I was just reminded by Noah something very important that happened that I completely forgot. I had a strawberry virgin daiquiri, for, mm. you know, throughout dinner. Ah, <clears throat> very sweet. Yeah, and I had forgotten that, and I drank half of his uh, lemonade daiquiri. <laughs> okay, so now this is going to make sense in a minute. So we're walking out. I've got, you know, we're marching down the street, all happy, and I begin to feel a little weird. I, I started to feel a little dizzy. It felt like one of my hypoglycemic, sometimes I'll have like a hypoglycemic little episode where I'll sweat a little bit, I have to lie down, mm-hmm. and then I have to like, eat sugar, and then I guess it balances out or something. Um, so it started to feel like one of those. And I'm walking, and then all of a sudden, I must have, I must have fainted or I passed out. Jesus. And uh, apparently, uh, I was seizing, like a seizure. It looked like... Like, what did that look like? Like shaking, you know, on the ground, like Eyes mouth open. Back in your head, yeah. I think my the whole thing, mouth open, because my jaw hurt afterwards. Jesus. Um, bit of foam. And you fell into the street? From what I was told, I began to stumble into the street. Oh, shit. And my wife like noticed something was off and began to guide me back. And I guess I came down to my knees or something. Mm. And then I just woke up. You know, it was 60 seconds, apparently. And it was the craziest thing, because it was just like when I OD'd. All (laughs) of a sudden, it was that same feeling of confusion, and like, all of a sudden, I'm looking around, and uh, there's just people around me, there's uh, an EMS, and I was just like, what What the hell is going on? Like, I didn't really feel bad, necessarily, but... It was really crazy, and so an ambulance came. Mm. I think the first thing they did was they want to know if this is an OD or the drugs involved, <laughs> did right? You take any drugs? Yeah, but like, and you were like, when? And <laughs> Noah said that he spoke up immediately and like said, "No, it's not alcohol. <laughs> My dad doesn't drink." Right? Yeah, he says, and there's not going to be drugs. He goes, 
I know that probably most 12-year-olds wouldn't know that, but I do. Mm. It's not drugs. Wow. Isn't that great? That's awesome, yeah. Um, and thank God when I got my blood test and stuff, there was no drugs because <laughs> I'd have some explaining to do. <laughs> and that was really cool, but it was horrifying, scary, confusing, because even though I've had these hypoglycemic little episodes, it's never resulted in a seizure-like activity or being unconscious like that. So what are, what are these hypoglycemic episodes? Uh, so it's sort of like the way the doctors explained it to me. Now, we rode in the, in the ambulance with my wife, two children. Right. We went to the ambulance. Thank God my cousin Jessie lives in town. She took the kids. Okay. Um, and stayed with me in the hospital for about five hours. Oh, we're, shit. We're talking emergency room. Is this like a um, Washington, D.C. public hospital? Pretty much, That yeah. must have been fun. Yeah, GW something. Okay. George, George Washington? Washington? Yeah. That'd be a good guess for the area. Yeah, public. Uh, and um, it was horrifying. You know, the whole thing was so confusing. And I had this PTSD reaction to when I used to be... You know, there was more than once where I would crack up a car or I'd end up in the hospital, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And it really just took me back to those, like, I can't believe I'm still sitting here in an emergency room looking at my wife, looking scared, lying in, you know, and not knowing what's going to happen. Let me ask you this. How long was it before the blood work came back? And during that period, was there any, like, questioning on no. the part of your wife? Like, what was really going on here? I, you know, I should ask her that, but I don't think there was because she knows that it's highly, highly unlikely that that would be the case. Yeah. And she also knows I've had these hypoglycemic things before. Okay. You know what I mean? And, um, and she knows how I've been acting. She can tell when I'm like, mm -hmm. she knows, <laughs> she knows the high <laughs> face. She knows the, uh, the drunk face. So they did a seat cause they don't know what it is. It says seizure. You know, it's, it's written down as a seizure. Right. But. Um, and so that's all they tell you. So they have to do, a, I got a CT scan, I got blood work and they did an EEG nice. and, uh, everything was clear. That's great. Completely clear. It's great, but it also it's just doesn't like where did this, why did I just pass out in the street in Washington, DC? It doesn't explain anything. And, um, it would, the other disturbing thing was when they did think it was a real seizure, every doctor would say to me, everyone gets one. Because I was like, why would this happen? I don't understand. How could I just be having a seizure? What do you and mean everybody gets one? That's like what they said. Like at some said. point in your life, you're just going to seize up and for no reason? According to just about every medical professional I ran into, I don't know if they're just trying to make me feel better. A glitch in the matrix, man. But, everybody's having a yeah. fucking seizure at some point. Huh. Yeah. So everybody gets one. And um, after that, I was fine. You know, I was shaken up. Of course, my kids were shaken up. I had to talk to them a lot about it. Mm -hmm. You know, luckily they saw that everything was okay. And, you know, I woke up immediately, but that's a scary thing to see. Yeah. Father. I'm worried it's an adverse childhood experience. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, is this going to, <laughs> um, but as soon as we got home, um, I got to see this new doctor, uh, for a follow-up <clears throat> and he's a really great doctor. And he's the one that sort of was able to explain to me what it was because when he, I explained the incident to him, he said, that's not a seizure. I said, well, what do you mean? I was shaking. I was on the ground. I blacked out. I said, how long were you out for? I said, 60 seconds. He said, that's not a seizure. He said, how'd you feel afterwards? I said, I was awake, you know, and then it was just scary. And he goes, that's not a seizure. Hmm. Um, and then, especially after looking at all my blood work and the CT and everything, he said, and then we talked about my diet more. Okay. And then I told him about the hypoglycemic attacks I have occasionally. He goes, what you had 
Yeah, I actually wrote it to the monksters because it was a good explanation. And because uh, I can't remember it. But it's basically fainting with seizure-like symptoms. Hmm. So, I can't... Are these yours? Oh, yeah, those are mine. Those aren't uh, reading glasses. So, the, <laughs> what I wrote... reading glasses. Yeah, so. here's my... Yeah. So, the explanation... After all the testing, doctors, and follow-up was that it was a reactive hypoglycemic syncope brought on by stress, heat, overexertion, and diet. Hmm. Um, and so the doctor explained it to me in the best possible way because um, I was trying to figure out how do I prevent this from happening. What he said was because I never eat, because he called it like fasting. He said, you're fasting what you're doing. And... What happens is, if you're fasting, you don't have any sugar stores, any glycos, glycos yeah. or whatever. And so when I do eat, I suck down a giant virgin daiquiri, and I eat junk food and, like, chocolate. And, you know, I wait till dinner, and then I eat, like, lots of sugary stuff. So he said what happened was my blood sugar spikes, and then there's always a dip. Right. Now, for most people, when it dips, you don't have faint and have a seizure. Right. But because my body was under so much stress and there was nothing to support like the sugar dip or whatever, mm-hmm. um, he said that that's what happens. You fainted. And then the seizure-like symptoms, he's like, that can happen pretty much. And so on the one hand, I was like, okay, great. I'm not going to die. But on the other hand, now I have to change my diet completely. Well, And actually eat. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not so much a matter of changing your diet. It's a matter of like putting food into your body, right? I mean, what yeah. what... Do you eat breakfast typically? Well, not typically. Or but, lunch typically? Um, not typically. So you don't eat until like dinner time. I'll try and eat something by like three or four o'clock, but not anymore. That's the old Nat-X. That's last week's Nat-X. This week. What is this week's Nat-X eating? I got these old people shakes. They're called Insure. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. Recovery and, in the Middle Ages. That's right, folks. <laughs> uh, this episode is brought to you by Insure. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy your golden years. It's um, also helpful if you have no teeth. You can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I have an insure shake in the morning to make sure I get protein and calories, and I try and make sure I have something for lunch. Um, Is that... Okay. What? No, no. Is insure bad? Well, I mean, I don't know. you could have like food in the morning. Yeah. Like, is is a shake really doing it? Yeah, it feels good. Did the doc... Okay. Yeah, he, he recommended. Of he, course, should I have... You know, eggs and bacon would be nice. Um, so I've been feeling better. He said to always, you know, eat something at least every four hours. And I'm going to go back in uh, on the 11th and I'm going to tell him how I'm feeling after doing what I'm supposed to. Did he do any blood work? He, this doctor? He didn't. He just looked at the stuff from the ER. Yeah. yeah. He didn't seem to, you know, it all just says normal levels, normal, but... Um, I'll probably, he's a really good doctor. Yeah. I mean, I had to get in through a friend. It was like one of those things. Right, right, right. Um, excellent doctor. And your family's got a lot of hookups, man. Mm. You get the Turkish fucking ambassador <laughs> and this Republican congressman, this <laughs> neurologist. It's, uh, it's all who you know, It's all who man. you know, yeah. I don't actually know any of them, though. That's the uh, shit of it. Yeah, but you know people that <laughs> know people. Know people. No people. It sounds like an AA yes. thing. Uh, so, so that was my scary. Holy shit! Well, I'm, I'm glad you're sitting here. You're okay. Yeah. Although I'm shaking up. You don't see when when you and I were going back and forth this morning on whether or not we had to reschedule this and everything. And and then yesterday, I got some texts from you that were alarming. What? You were just like, I'm coming apart at the seams. I'm yeah. like, I'm losing my shit. It's yeah. so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself. 
part of the part of this like issue with the seizure and stuff is no doubt diet and sugar mm. related, but part of it's probably stress. I'm in very, there too, man. And yeah. you seem like you're really stressed out lately. I'm very stressed and I don't even want to recount the last couple of days um, because it's not getting better. But, and yeah. that brings up the point, like you could change your diet. That's easy, mm. right? But changing your, your lifestyle, if you've built a certain schedule, if you've, yeah. you know, going down a certain road with the things that you've put on your plate, mm. you know, the problem with performing miracles for people all the time and getting everything done is then people expect the miracles all the time. Imagine how Jesus must have felt. I know. Like he was like, oh, I cured five blind people today and there's 20 today. Yeah. <laughs> 20 tomorrow I got to deal with, you know, it's, it's just, you know, so when you set that high level of expectation, you know, expectation for yourself yeah. and you get everything done just barely, but you get it done. Yeah. Then you figure, okay, I can do all this and maybe something else too. That, yeah, that's and it just, it, it, it's like an exponential increase in the shit that you have to do. And, and that's pretty much exactly what's been. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of it, I lost uh, my wife's car rolled over glass or something. So we only had one car Monday. Okay. And I had to walk back and forth to the mechanic and then drive to work on a donut and like on top of everything. Right. You know, it's well, that's just, the thing is when you're, when you're so tightly ugh. scheduled and tightly like, you know, committed to all the stuff that you have to do, one little thing that comes in from the outside just fucks the whole thing up. Yep. You know, that's it. Like, so what do I do? <laughs> what do I quit? I don't know, but you know what? Why don't we take a short break? And when we come back, we can talk about some strategies that myself and you and ChatGPT came up with <laughs> to <laughs> to uh, handle stress and recovery because it's a big deal. It's a should. big deal. And we'll be right back after these words. I don't understand people on the internet. Are we back? And we're back. <laughs> Why not? So that ad that you're looking at there, right? Mm. That says, what does it say? Oh, you mean our ad? Our ad. What does it say? Uh, our ad says, Recovery in the Middle Ages is a podcast about two middle-aged suburban okay. pets. And, blah, 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 blah. Right. and it says, Addiction, Recovery, Comedy, Podcast, Support, Community. Right. Now, okay, maybe it was on the other ad. Oh, yeah, I have another one. Yeah. People get bring mad. Up, bring up the other ad. This is good. Because, and I'm not like trying to be mean or anything. Um, oh, this one. Okay. Yeah. What does it say? It says addiction, recovery, comedy, podcast. Right. right? Uh, so I get a private, I get a, a, a thing on the phone that somebody left a message on the, the Facebook ad. Right. So I go on it and it's somebody that says, is this a podcast? <laughs> I'm like... Yes. Uh, and then, do you have a link? Is, is a there link. not a link built in? Yes, two links. I don't know. I, I just I, I I. If you're having trouble finding the pod, finding the <laughs> podcast, email Mike R at Middle Ages Recovery. Deck. Don't do that. Just fucking go to <laughs> go to your favorite podcast platform or go to middleagesrecovery.com. And that's being updated. Wait, go to what? yeah, middleagesrecovery.com. That's right. Yeah, I was just uh, talking to the, our web developer about the latest that's episodes. A, that's a very fancy name for what that guy's been mm -hmm. doing. 
<laughs> I was begging him. I'm like, do I? Do you need to bill me for something else? Like, just send me a bill. We have to get this to work. Um, so, yes, yeah, we are I, back. Back in black. Oh, join the Patreon. Support your favorite podcast. Yeah. Just throw us a couple of dollars a month. Uh, the contest is still ongoing. We've decided to extend it yes. for another two weeks. The deadline has been extended. <laughs> that if 15 new Patreon subscribers come online, Nat and I will play pickleball naked. Naked. For money. On roller skates. No, we won't be naked. Mm. Maybe you, maybe I'll wear a banana hammock. That sounds no, good. I'm, it's worth, worth, no. worth it for the 15. I, I, I definitely will not do any of that. Um, Patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Join us. Yeah. So stress is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's the definition of stress? It's the, um, the tension between the, the body's desire to choke the living shit out of some asshole who desperately deserves it. Yeah, right. like when you're in the car and someone cuts you off or right. is driving too slow, you get stressed. But stress like can feel overwhelming in, in for people in recovery, right? Even more so than regular people who are not in right. recovery. Because you don't go to a drink. You don't have that go-to necessarily like you used to. Your well, old I mean, best friend. I mean, you have a decreased, decreased tolerance, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, uh, LFT, low frustration tolerance. I mean, during your active addiction, you can, your alcohol or your drugs might have been used as a coping mechanism to deal with stress, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then without this, you take that stuff away, all of a sudden it's like, I have to manage stress on my own. I have to new, learn new coping skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, of course, again, when you peel away this, the alcohol, the drugs, you become much more emotionally sensitive, right? Yeah, especially when we first get uh, clean. Um, you know, I remember back to those early recovery groups. Everybody's on edge. Yeah. Everybody is like double fisting the candy bowl. and uh, yeah. <laughs> The candy hole? The they're candy double, hole. They're double fisting the candy hole. <laughs> Maybe at your rehab they were doing that. <laughs> I didn't get to go to a fun rehab like that. Um, yeah, and, and of course, then there's underlying issues like trauma, mental health disorders, and unresolved emotional pain, which were being... Ma- I mean, all of this stuff is like the substances you were taking were masking the real issues in your life that you needed to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all of a sudden you take that away and you're just dealing with your own shit. And, you know, you things can get really out of whack. Like, because when you become sober and then you get your life back, all of a sudden you have a whole series of new stressors right i mean life keeps happening you keep taking look for me i'll speak for myself i kept taking things on and those are new stress all the stresses i have today are brand new because i I can do more so there could be more stress (laughs) it's true (laughs) look look at what my printer printed oh beautiful five blank pages yeah, all on photo paper, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. High gloss. Yeah. I mean, some of this sort of brings us around to, I mean, you, you what you had was like hypoglycemia. hypoglycemia. So hypo means too, too much, much sugar, sugar and, then it dips. and then the crash. Yeah. So how do people manage sugar cravings and the risk of hypoglycemia and early recovery? Yeah. I don't know. I fell prey well, to it. I mean, I think you need to ad- adopt a balanced diet. Right, and admit maintain consistent pro- eating habits. You'd say you'd have to admit you were powerless over sugar and that your life had become unmanageable? No, 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 no. <laughs> Just fucking have like uh, some scrambled eggs or something. I mean, I think you need to eat regularly, right? Regular yeah. meals and snacks at consistent intervals throughout the day can help stabilize your blood sugar levels and reduce cravings. Yes? Yes. Yes. 
And then you should choose complex carbohydrates instead of simple carbohydrates. What does that mean? Well, you can opt for whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and legumes. Yeah, white bread was is a no-no. The doctor said no more white bread. Were you eating a lot of white bread? I mean, yes. Wonder white, bread? White rice, um, rolls mostly. Rolls with yeah. butter from the deli? Mm. I mean, yeah. that's a New York thing. I'm hungry. I used to have a buttered roll. Toasted? In the morning. No, like you get toast. it off the cart in the city. Oh, that? Yeah, those are good. Give me a roll with butter and a cup of coffee, <laughs> light sweet. But I would eat that when I hadn't eaten anything else for days. Yeah, I love those. Um, it was funny. This morning, you know, you were uh, um, cycling a little bit, and I was like, you know what's really good? A banana with peanut butter. And you're oh, like, that's disgusting. Oh. You know I hate <laughs> bananas with a I didn't passion. know you. Uh, I, I'd forgotten. Ba- bananas, I have a moral opposition to. Do I you like peanut butter? I love peanut butter. So have peanut butter on an apple. That I could do. Yeah. Maybe a little honey. That's Oh, mm. that's a, maybe even a sprinkle of cinnamon. We're hungry, folks. Uh, I actually had a fully nutritious breakfast this morning. Did you? I was out <laughs> of insurer shakes. I haven't had, I had two donut holes. You see, I'm not doing you that. You had two good. donut holes? <laughs> not that doing. is how you're <laughs> fixing your diet? <laughs> I'm progress, not perfection here. Come on, guys. There was nothing else. Well, I guess else. it's better than nothing. I was just, Two donut holes and a double espresso. That's what I, yeah. That's why I'm so shaky. <laughs> well, you should definitely consume some protein and healthy fats. You should incorporate lean protein sources and healthy fats into your meals to slow down the absorption of sugar. Do I have and to? And promote satiety. Satiety, to be satiated. Yes. Do you drink water or just coffee? Well, funny you should mention that. Now I'm drinking more water. I make a point when I get home, I have a tall glass of water and I try and make myself. When you get home at like five o'clock? Yeah. Do you drink water during the day? Not usually. You should have a couple sips of water maybe sometime between the morning and the night. But I've actually, I've never seen my wife drink water Mm. and she seems to be functional. So it's not good. I don't think for me, I think I I definitely need to drink more water. I avoid it because like many men my age, I'm trying to decrease the number of times I have to use the bathroom. I mean, if you're in an office with a bathroom, you can use the bathroom as many times as you want. And I do. Every you don't have to raise minutes. your hand or anything. It just sucks. <laughs> I like it all night. It's every, you know. Yeah, I'd, I've been having some issues with Ugh. the nighttime thing lately. But drink more water anyway. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, your body, like, will retain water, I think. I'm not a fucking doctor. I don't know. <laughs> Just drink water. Um, Everybody says drink water. So. Pra- practice mindfulness. By the way, these are tips to manage sugar cravings and the risk of hypoglycemia during early recovery. Okay? These are tips. Tips. Tips and tricks. Um, trips and be, ticks. Be aware of your cravings and their triggers can help you develop healthier coping mechanisms and make more informed food choices. That's just like the drug you know, uh, recovery programs they used to have. Triggers. Yes. It's like the same thing. It's like uh, I get a trigger if I wake up at 11, like 12 o'clock, let's say. And I immediately, that's my trigger for eating something sugary. I'll go straight to the refrigerator. Sometimes I have a Klondike bar. In the bar. middle of the night? Yeah. You have a Klondike bar at midnight. Sometimes That's later. fucked up. Like almost every night. <laughs> Don't, 
I've stopped though. I mean, you're my fucking pistachio flying saucer dealer. Mm-hmm. You come and drop a, <laughs> drop a bundle off on my front, st- front a step, sleeve. a sleeve. <laughs> I'm like, I'm counting all those beauties in there. Like, ooh, hey, this is point seven. Every night I look in the, in the freezer. I'm like, oh, I got four left. <laughs> if I was a real dealer, I would have taken one out for yeah, myself. Right, right. <laughs> uh, this feels a little light. Yeah, what's the matter, man? Somebody's uh, stepping on it. Uh, so you should also seek support for your sugar cravings. That's nonsense. Are you going to reach out to a counselor or therapist to discuss your sugar cravings? No, but I would like to to say that there's that's not totally crazy because okay, my wife who you know helps me to stay on track basically. She's also your counselor. She is. <laughs> she is. She's the one that she's sort of paying attention, and she'll be the one to say you need to eat something or you know make sure I'm not eating too much crap. So, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she. Well, good for her. Yes. And she should do that. Yes, she does. Somebody has to. It's not going to be you. you know, she's, she's on me. She, you know, she wants me to be healthy, and she sees how um, haphazard and unhealthy my diet has been, and you know. Well, I mean, we've talked about this in the past about why you get these sugar cravings, like in early recovery, yeah. and it's. Uh, it's because that would seem to me to be the time to make some good habits around your sugar consumption and your diet, right? As long as you're change, as long as you're changing everything, you may as well change your diet at the same time. I remember there being debates about that amongst the counselors at uh, I think it was Seafield Mineola, where uh, yeah. one counselor would always have a sugar bowl. And I got to another counselor. Just like raw sugar with a spoon. <laughs> just, just, just scoop it. <laughs> Stick your hands in there but and shove it in your face. She made a point at having a lot of sugar. And she even said, you know, when you're in early recovery, have a lot of sugar because you'll be craving it. And then the next counselor I had said, don't listen to Dawn. <laughs> this is a horrible practice. You shouldn't be, you know, just what you said. You're right. trying to have healthy uh, habits. So it was kind of funny, but. Okay. I think in terms of harm reduction, like right. in the first 60 or 90 days, if you got to shovel, shovel, if you have to shovel uh, M&Ms or whatever, fucking Skittles, God help you, or any of that shit into your mouth so it keeps you from drinking, mm. have at it, man. But after 90 days, let's let's take a look. Let's start to reevaluate, you know? Yeah. As long as you feel secure that stopping sugar is not going to send you to the bar. Um, but it's interesting why it happens right it's all brain chemistry uh you know the alcohol and the opioids they disrupt uh, the dopamine system and increases the dopamine levels and uh you know when you seek alternative sources of pleasure dopamine sugar is a big one because it, it can compensate for the reduced dopamine release from the alcohol and the drugs right yeah um and then of course your hypoglycemia uh is an issue. Chronic substance abuse can lead to poor nutrition and irregular eating habits, which can result in fluctuating blood sugar levels. Not only chronic substance abuse, but also chronic stress. I would, I would say. Um, do you find yourself irritable, fatigued, dizzy, increasingly hungry? Those symptoms can drive a person to seek quick sources of energy, such as sugary, sugary foods like donut holes, mm-hmm. to alleviate your discomfort. So what am I supposed to do? Like, what's going to replace I'll, that? What's a healthy thing I can eat instead of a Klondike bar? In and the it, middle of the night? Don't say Ensure Shake. I don't want to. <laughs> well, maybe that's the ticket. Well, how about some beef jerky? Mm, I, I like beef jerky. You could have a midnight snack of beef jerky. I could do that. It's not like as satisfying as a Klondike bar, but that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. You don't want to jam that sugar into your brain in the middle of the night. Huh. I don't know. But what if you're a vegetarian? Right. 
Then you don't eat beef jerky. You don't? Have like a... Um, carrots, raw carrots. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a Klondike bar. <laughs> almonds? I like almonds Yeah. Too. Almonds with dark chocolate, maybe. Do you think maybe some of this um, focus on... Some people thrive with stress, and without the stress, they get like a little out of sorts. Mm. Do you think that there may be a little addiction transfer going on here? Like a substitute addiction that it, like it occurs in an individual in recovery when you develop a new addiction or compulsive behavior in place of your previous substance abuse? I think so. It's called changing <laughs> seats in the Titanic, they always call it. Yeah, or addiction whack-a-mole, right? Mm. Um, this can come up in a lot of different ways, including workaholism, mm -hmm. uh, excessive exercise, compulsive shopping, or even engaging in dramatic or conflict-prone situations. Mm. So you can have an addiction to drama. Yeah, I've known people like that. Um, it explains why so many ultra runners are ex-addicts, alcoholics. Right, right, we talked about that we when we did uh, the Ed Roll book. Yeah. Was it Ed Roll? Who? Rich Roll. Rich Roll. Did we talk about that book? I think we did. Finding Ultra. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. It's a good book. 10 episodes. I don't yeah. even <laughs> But we said the same thing. This guy is, you know, he's addicted to ultra marathons. It's ruining his life because he never sees his family. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He's yeah, having yeah. the same kind of effect. So we kind of debated that. Yeah. But I mean, so is that a healthier addiction? I don't know. It's to the extreme. And that's why. I mean, the body, the body may be healthier up to a point. Yeah. You know. There's diminishing returns after a mile. 40. <laughs> well, there's that woman, uh, Ketra Corbett, who is an ultra marathon runner. And she's like sort of famous for, she's like all these tattoos and nose rings and stuff. And she was like a, um, a meth head and club girl. And, but she runs like a hundred miles every weekend, Ugh. like just for fun. <laughs> now I like to run, you know, don't get me wrong. And I've always loved the idea of ultra marathoning, but my body, it's never been quite built for it. Um, but so why does, why does re replacement addiction like running like that occur? I mean, it's, there's, it's the reward pathways. Again, right. I hate to be reductive about dopamine, but it's like... It seems to all go back to that. Yeah. I mean, if you stop using drugs and alcohol and you don't deal with the underlying issues, you could seek alternative behaviors triggering the same reward pathways, resulting in a new addiction. Uh, same thing if you don't deal with your emotional or psychological issues, you know, like trauma. Trauma is like the big thing nowadays, right? Trauma and anxiety and depression, the... the three horsemen of the apocalypse, if, if you will, when it comes to yeah. uh, mental health. Yeah, trauma is coming up a lot. And, um, you know, and this one I thought was interesting. Uh, addiction involves habitual patterns of behavior and thinking. And when the substance is removed, the individual may unconsciously seek to fill the void left by their previous addiction with new behaviors or habits. Mm. So, you know what, it's like... Uh, you know, people get addicted not just to the crack, but to the buying of the stem and filling of the pipe and the lighter and cleaning the stem and all that kind of stuff. And, and the same thing with heroin, with needles, right? Yeah, I've heard that. They're addicted to yeah. the needle. They so, don't even say heroin, the needle. The it's, needle. Like, yeah. so, so people just shoot water. Yeah, you know? Chris from uh, Dopey, who famously um, actually OD'd uh, tragically. But when he was on the, you know, alive and they were talking about, Dave used to like rib him about a little that. He was so addicted, he would watch videos of people injecting huh. water just to, like, satisfy some kind of morbid, I don't know, like, it, it's weird. <laughs> it's like, I can't Well, really, but you know, but it, I get it. It's, you know? I get it, too, and, and, and I could see that playing out, even if it's not, like, a, a drug, like crack or, uh, or heroin. I mean, what is this whole thing about going to a bar and drinking a non-alcoholic beer 
you know, there's, there's still that whole ritual and process, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was grilling yesterday. I was grilling some hamburgers for my kids and I have a six pack of non-alcoholic Peroni in the fridge. So right and I was like, your left I was like, skillet. yeah, I was just going to go grab a beer and sit outside and grill and drink the non-alcoholic beer. And then I, I started, started teasing that out. Like, why do I want to do that? Um, I you know, mostly cause the Peroni's like a hundred calories and I'm trying to watch what I've been putting in since I gained some weight lately. So I'm like, well, I'll just have a glass of water instead. But I was it was, about to say, yeah, yeah, but it was such a, like a, a, a trigger for me, mm. like grilling and chilling, you know, yeah, I like really just wanted to have, to have, the, have beer. the beer and I'm like, it's not even a beer. So, mm. so, you know, do you love the flavor? I mean, did you feel satisfied when you have the non-alcoholic beer? Um, yeah, I had one a couple of weeks ago, maybe. And I enjoyed it, like yeah, the first a, three quarters of it. And it's then, a nostalgic flavor too. I mean, yeah, but is that like shooting like water? That's you know, that's like I why, wonder. Yeah, I, is it? Am I addicted to the ritual hmm. of of having a beer while I'm barbecuing? I mean, yeah, how but, far do you take that? But is analogy, it bad, You know, is it necessarily a bad thing if it doesn't harm you? Yeah, no, I guess not. I mean, it it doesn't make me crave a real beer. Mm. So what am I? What exactly am I craving there? Mm. Comfort. What is what is the thing that's in my head that's saying to go to the fridge and get a non-alcoholic beer? Neuropathways. It is. Like, it's yeah. habitual patterns. Right. Right. At least that's what I think it is. Um, you also need to learn how to develop healthy coping mechanisms to sort of avoid replacement addiction issues. Like, I mean. If you can't, if you don't have these mechanisms to cope with stress, anxiety, or emotional challenges, you can turn to other compulsive or addictive behaviors to manage your emotions. Yeah, and that was the big that was the big sell at all of the rehabs and groups and programs. It's you need new tools. That's what they always said. Yeah, uh, say you know good tools, healthy tools. So healthy tools. The word tool. tool. I'm 14 years old. <laughs> so uh, some strategies to prevent replacement addiction and uh, issues from rearing their ugly head include engaging in therapy. Uh, of course, if you don't have any time to do anything in your life, it's hard to fit therapy in. That's why we recommend BetterHelp. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not They're not yet. a sponsor yet. Not yet. Um, but there is online therapy. I don't know if the jury's in about how effective that is and, or how effective it is not. I think it's like anything else. It's all what you put into it. It depends on the, from what I've heard, you know, um, and I've tried it before. So it's like anything. You get a good therapist that you like, um, you know, you'll have success. Okay. It's neither good nor bad. Okay. Which brings us to the develop healthy coping skills, Mm -hmm. um, such as mindfulness, meditation, journaling, or engaging in hobbies to deal with stress and negative emotions. To me, like the big issue there is that you have to build that space into your life. If you are just running, burning like a rocket yeah. through your own life, you're, you have to make space for that shit. Because if you don't, nothing's going to change. Right. Like doing this podcast for us, this is something we love. And we have to, like this morning, I was like, I got to do this. This is important. Yeah. And it's not important in the sense that, you know, I'm worried about a work deadline. It's like, it's important to my life. It's important, you know, that we make time for these things. And it's not easy to no. to do. And all of the hobbies you have too, like um, making time for it. It's hard. But I can't show up for other people unless I can show up for myself. Right. 
right? I mean, I could just not do anything other than work uh, at work or work at home or, you know, and I would just be a miserable facsimile of a human being. Mm. I would just be reacting rather than proacting. Yeah. You know, I think you need to be proactive. You need to take, I mean, I take 15 minutes a day for meditation, no matter what. Yeah, it's at good. Eight, it's between seven and eight o'clock. I go to the garage, I shut the door and I sit on a cushion for 15 minutes. Do you listen to anything? No, I don't. Total silence? I have never. Or a mantra? Total silence. I, I have done mantra meditation, but I uh, learned with Zen meditation and that's what I've sort of carried through. Mm. I, I tried a little of the Harry Krishna stuff and I felt like it wasn't really, I need the stillness because if something's just talking at me or I'm talking mm. to me, that's not like changing my consciousness enough. I'm not able to shut off the voice in my head if I'm talking at the same time. And, and that's the hard part. Um, I read a book about Zen Buddhism. I think it was at Zen Buddhism in college. And I remember they called it mind weeds. Uh, it was one of these techniques for pulling the, pulling right. the mind. Weeds. And it was described, I forget who wrote it. Some famous Zen guy, but it was all about, think of it as a garden you're weeding. So you're mm. supposed to close your eyes, total silence. And as these things come up, you weed them. You try and right. picture yourself pull until there's less and less distraction. Yeah. That's yeah, a good analogy. I mean, the thoughts are going to come up, but you don't judge the thought. You yeah. just acknowledge it, and then it goes off right. on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I recommend meditation. I know it's hard if you don't have a history with it, and it seems really foreign, but there are apps out there you can use, like a Headspace is the yeah. big one. I use that um, in the pandemic. I was doing guided meditations. There's also... Insight Timer, which also has a bunch of guided meditations on it. That's a free app. Um, yeah, I mean, I, re I recommend it. I think it helps keep me focused and gives me a little space that I can take between acting, between thinking and acting. And to me, that's the main benefit of meditation is it gives you the space between what you're thinking and what, what you put out into the world. Mm. So you have a moment of silence, which the contemplate whether you want to take the next step. And I think that's very helpful in recovery. Mm. And I think it's helpful in just interactions with other people, like not just letting that thing fly out of your mouth that just pops into your brain. Yeah. I've been working on that, especially with, you know, social media posting. Oh, I'll yeah. type out a, a comment. What I do now, I think I've said this before is I don't ever hit post right away <laughs> especially if I, I know it's an impulsive emotional reaction i'll type it out to feel better yeah and i don't hit post that's great and in five minutes if i still think it's good i'll right hit it. i like that i could have done with some of that yesterday <laughs> i was fighting with a couple of people um another recommendation is to build a support network of course connecting with others in the recovery movement through support groups, 12-step programs, podcast recovery-focused communities like ours, you can share experiences, you can learn from each other, and you can build accountability. Mm. That's what we do in our Discord. That's what we try to do in our Facebook group. And it's the basis for almost every kind of recovery. Even I was talking to my wife about family anonymous type of stuff. It was on a show we were watching. Mm. And she was saying that when we were going through my stuff which wasn't just my stuff, you know, she was going through it too. She was required to attend these uh, family groups. Mm -hmm. uh, it was part of my requirements was that the spouse has to attend these things. But she was saying like how 
great it was for her to hear. She said the way she described it was when you hear yourself and other people's experiences. Right on. And, you know, and that's true, I think, for just about any kind of issue or even joys, you know, like you want to be around people that you can commiserate and, you know, have fun with that you can relate to. So people who you can share experiences with. And that sort of thing is rarer today with as fragmented as we are as a society and all the social media that we have, it really has made us almost more alienated in some ways. Yeah. Or we're getting together around negative things. Yeah. People will rally around something hateful. Isn't that a sad commentary on humanity? Yeah. Like it's so much easier to motivate people by fear than it is by hope. Yeah, but it ain't nothing new. This is what's been yeah. millions. It just seems like it's years. become Thousands. like exacerbated since the 2012 and the real ones since social media really yeah. locked in. I'm waiting for it to bounce back because the pendulum always swings back a little bit. Let's hope. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of depressing how difficult it is to create and maintain relationships these days. But um, you also need to establish a balanced lifestyle. We've discussed that a bit. Cultivate a lifestyle includes regular exercise, a healthy diet, sufficient sleep and time for relaxation and self-care. What's your exercise uh, situation look like these days? Um, I play tennis once a week and I had to take a week off because my tennis partner has plantar fasciitis. Really? Um, that sucks. <laughs> you had to get it injected. But um, tennis is going to be my big thing coming up in the spring. I used to be like a bodybuilder guy in the gym, and then I was running and running and running, and now I'm back to playing tennis, and I'm having a lot of fun. Awesome, It's man. a lot of experts. It's only like once a week, and uh, when it gets nice out, I'm going to start playing more with my brother probably. That's cool. Mm. You think about uh, doing something uh, daily? Like I should. walk? Yes. I'd a like to get nice. back to running. Yeah. You know, so that's coming, coming this summer. Right. I'm going to start running again. I got those Brooks that I bought just to run. Right. Uh, I got a lot out of running. I, I used it as a meditation. I don't know. If you could talk. kill two birds with yeah. one stone, run and meditate at the same time. Yeah. Just don't watch for cars. <laughs> yeah. No, don't watch. Careful. No, do watch oh, for do cars. Oh, do watch. Yes, for, yes. Okay, thank God. Well, and that brings us to the setting boundaries, right? Yeah. And this is a tough one. You got to recognize the importance of setting boundaries uh, in, at work. Right, you, you can't take everything on. Uh, relationships, got to make yourself some personal time, uh, and you know that'll help you prevent excessive involvement in any one area, which can you know be you know not the healthiest thing in the world. That's been one of the hardest things for me as like a, a people pleaser is I I hate saying no, but I'm getting better at it. Yes, you know, or being able to say it's nothing personal. I just don't want to do that thing. It's okay to say no. Right. Make space for yourself. You have to. I'm saying that to me because I need to do that. Yeah. And and all of these things are going to require you to make space for yourself. And that's hard to do. Um, I think women have a harder time doing that than men do to some degree um, because of the, you know, the responsibilities they have as uh uh, primary caregiver for the kids and mm. stuff. And, you know, there's, I think they feel a little more guilty about taking personal time, which, you know, as a, as a man, I always was sort of cavalier about that. And I would say, Oh, just do it, you know, right. but like, it's easy to tell somebody to just fucking do something like, Hey, just quit drinking, quit drinking, <laughs> put the plug <laughs> in the jug, you know, and, and, but people, you know, people have to get to that space 
where they can do it for themselves, you know? Yeah. And it, it's helpful if you have a partner that gives you the space that allows you to do that. Yeah. And, and one thing I am proud of um, in my marriage is that I worked on really hard was becoming a good partner for my wife. For a long time, I was very, you know, I sucked. I was uh, not doing anything. Uh, and I really was, you know, and that's probably when I was using and drinking. And so part of my living amends is to be that partner for my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's really, um, I feel good about it, especially, you know, you want your partner to be able to go out with their friends or whatever makes them feel right. relaxed. And uh, I don't ever give her guilt about it. Yeah. So I think that's important. Now I need to do that a little. You do. You, now you need to do that yeah. because you shouldn't feel guilty about the fact that you spent all those years, you know, waste, you know, whatever, wasting, wasting my time. Life. And, you know, yeah. I mean, honestly, right. I mean, that's kind of what addiction is. It's yeah. kind of wasting your life, right? It's my time to waste. But, um, but now that you're better, right? Mm. Like, like to me, I, I wouldn't want the guilt of the time that I, wasted not doing stuff to like prevent me from doing things now. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I was like this, then I'm going to be extra engaged in my, you know, my relationship, my family and everything. That doesn't mean that you can't give yourself some space to do stuff that you want to do. Right. Right. Agreed. All right. Are we done with it? Have we beaten this fucking topic to death? We've beaten it to death. Are you going to eat something when we leave here? So, so I'm okay. Um, I mean, I have. I just I, need I to give eat you a better. piece of cheese or something. From, I think I have a cheese stick in the fridge. I was going to pick up more insure shakes. I think. Um, there you go. But I'm glad to be back. I'm glad that I'm I'm not dead. And uh, sorry for the scare. We are too, because I do not want this to become dopey. Fucking <laughs> stay alive, please. I will. I'll do it. And thanks to everybody on the Inner Sanctum on Discord too for support. Um, it means a lot to me. Okay. It's time for recovery in the news. You know what? What is it time for? It's, I don't know what it's time for. It's time for, it's time. Not yet. It isn't. It's time for, okay. Recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery. Recovery. Can you take that down a key? Is it possible? Are you? Can we modulate? I don't know. I just like to take it down. I don't know. Why don't you? I'm not getting that. Record note. another version of that on the guitar. <laughs> I should. I'll just. I'm gonna take it down a notch. I. Uh, are you? Do you ever get tired of doing that? No. No. It's classic. It's like my signature. Um, I'm gonna need that one. Can I have this one? Because mm-hmm. for some reason the other page didn't print. I don't know. Uh, so the New York Times this week posted an interesting article. I don't know if some of you uh, regular listeners may remember, hopefully that's all of you, but uh, may remember a couple of weeks ago, I got a little heated about the fact that none of the Sacklers were in fucking jail for creating the opioid crisis and essentially ruining America and killing hundreds of thousands of people. And then the Times drops a story over the weekend, long and very well researched, um, and the title is as follows. Sacklers gave millions to institution that advises on opioid policy. Uh, even as the nation's drug crisis mounted, the National Academy of, of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine continued to accept funds from some members of the Sackler family, including those involved with Purdue Pharma. Um, 
And of course, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine is a renowned advisory group that the White House and Congress have relied on to help shape the federal response to the opioid crisis, whether by convening expert panels or delivering policy recommendations and reports. Yet, Mm. officials with the National Academies have kept quiet about one thing, Mm. their decision to accept roughly $19 million in donations from the Sackler family, Mm. the owners of Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin that is notorious for fueling the opioid epidemic. What do we think about that? Here we are bitching (sighs) about the government not having adequate response to the opioid crisis by going out there and incarcerating addicts by marshalling the power of the police to deal with the crisis rather than public policy. And it turns out that $19 million of Sackler money has been funding this approach. Uh, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Um, In 2016, Months after the National Academies received $10 million of Sackler money, um, the FDA tapped the institution to form a committee to issue new recommendations on opioids. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty know, sick. And, and this is a very long, very well-researched story. Uh, you guys should go read it. Um, it's just time after time, anytime a policy position was being put forth by the National Academies to the FDA, to Congress, to the White House, it was usually after some massive donation of Sackler money. Yeah, I mean, and we sort of knew that, you know, when we were watching that show, what was it called, Dope Sick, mm-hmm. where it kind of it does a deep dive um, into just like a vignette of a doctor who gets sold OxyContin by a salesman, and they show the whole thing all the way up to the top. And I think it was pretty clear... I mean, I just assumed that it was this bad, you know, like direct bribing. Forget the word lobbying. These are bribes. Well, I'm not surprised that individual Congress people were receiving money. Um, That's just the way business works. What I am surprised about is that the National Academy of Sciences, which is supposed to be uh, an organization that is less susceptible to being manipulated by corporate money yeah. uh, has been has had their piggy snout in the trough this whole time. Uh, so so Congress gets some cover. Um, look, we're not the ones that, yes, maybe we took Sackler money, but these recommendations are coming from the National Academies of right? Sciences. It's more egregious. Right? You're supposed to be trusted. So was the FDA, and, and we found out that the guy, you know, the, the guy who wrote the FDA um, warning label, which was one of the main reasons that they did so well selling opioids, he was from the, the Sackler organization. Yeah. It's just, uh, you can't trust any of these things. It's crazy. I mean, they, it's, the National Academies issued a report in 2011 that basically um, allowed pharmaceutical companies to argue that doctors should prescribe more opioids. Uh, and, and that came out even as the White House was saying that the nation was facing an opioid addiction crisis. Um, I think this is why so, we have to trust our our common sense. Like during smoking and all of that, when people were saying, you know, it's healthy, we were being told it's healthy. I think we all knew inhaling smoke was going to be bad. You know, I feel like, there was a lot of denial going on and the 
academies and the government and the big ads, you know, just supported that fantasy to make money. Yeah. And I, it's all. I, I look, I'm, nobody's more cynical than me, yeah. but. Um, it's bad. But the fact that this is just coming to light now and that even after, you know, two decades, there's never been any disclosure by these by these institutions about where their funding comes from. And in fact, there's been an active attempt not to disclose, oh, yeah. you know, and, and then to give off the appearance of objectivity. They knew this um, was wrong. Yeah. Clearly. So, and then I mean, they obfuscated it. Anytime you look to the government for a solution, you, you're, you're basically, there is no government. The government is basically just people, pharmaceutical who are, companies, yeah, and, people taking bribes. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And that's recovery in the news. Wow. Wow. We did it. <laughs> that about does it for today. I know had a great time. Did you? I really did. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised. I'm glad. I expected this to be stressful. Yeah. And yeah. Well, that's how I was framing it this morning. I had yes. my frantic, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The schema we were operating in was one of stress. But guess what? I said, forget these glasses. <laughs> I said, the show must go on. And I'm glad we did it. Yes. So visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. We need more reviews so we can read yes. them. I don't care if you give us any money through Patreon. Well, I sort of do, mm. but I really don't because I don't need the money. Uh, well, we sort of do, but... <laughs> I need the money. <laughs> Send we, it to me. But what I really want is reviews. Go reviews. write some fucking reviews, please. And join us on Patreon. Join the Inner Sanctum. Patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And we're having a lot of fun and it supports the show. And finally, what's the best way to help the show, Mike? Share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. If and everybody shared what? it with one, one friend, then... We'd have By one the more math- laws of mathematics. Yeah. Everybody in the country would be listening within like a week. And one of them would be Kevin Bacon. That's right. And as we say, non profit perfectum. Progress, not perfection. We'll see you next time. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Yeah.